Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 22nd of September 2019. I wonder who else out there is thinking they're, they're living in some sort of Groundhog Day over and over in some respects, because what happens is, is so similar to things that have happened before in different areas like warfare and so on. But when you look into the techniques of building up to create wars, and always remembering that in true Machiavellian style, because it's a very old technique, you must always, always get something to justify going to war with someone else, if they're not invading you, that is. And so you always got to get, oh, here's the event, bang, there you go. Real or, or imaginary doesn't matter, as long as you publicize it properly. And you do that by before any event or, or artificial event or fake event actually is told as, or appears to have happened, you build up an, an animosity towards those people by saying they've got animosity towards you. They, they really hate you, you see. And then it means they hate us. And you keep building that up over and over and over and until the event happens, the standard event is supposed to have happened. And then next thing you know, you're, they're off to war, as it was planned, of course, long beforehand. And, and that's a standard, standard, simple technique of doing it. It's quite fantastic to, to see it happening over and over again. With this, pretty well the same scenario is really, you know. And this time, of course, they must get Iran. I mean, I personally think Trump was put in to hurry up and get, get the list over and done with, at least the Iran part of it. Because Hillary, basically, when, when, that, when she was in the State Department before that, under Obama, and a group of them there with Madeleine Albright and so on, they'd been using proxy armies with different fake names, supposedly to do with ISIS and ISIL and ICE and yada, yada, yada. But they were mercenary armies. They were getting funded and equipped from the West. And I know this because I read all the articles on the air for years when it was all happening by all the usual official outlets. And so it was documented that we were arming them and, and again, financing them and supplying all their equipment and foods and so on. To get rid of Syria, mainly at that time, they'd already got rid of Libya. And that started the mass migration because Libya was literally a, a bulwark against the the mass migration from the West. And, uh, and for, you know, it, it was well understood, but with all sides at the time, that Gaddafi had mentioned the United Nations too, that if they take them down, take down his country, he says you get ma- a massive flood into, into Europe. And that's what's happened. The reason it happened is because it was planned to happen, because nothing really occurs in this system, this big, big, incredible system of planning multi-layered strategies and so on, all working together. It doesn't happen by accident. And it was planned that way to change Europe, the face of Europe and the world eventually, because you got to remember the very old agenda to do with elimination of nations, for, for as an example. And nations, you prepare them for the withering away, as they call it, withering away of the nation state. That was a communist idea at the time. But it was the same idea that was run by maybe their mentors, for instance, living in London, who ran the Royal Institute for International Affairs, who wanted a world government too, and the CFR, another branch of the same organization. Under many, many names and different guises, that they've catered for all sects of society and ethnic groups and religious groups and everything else. So it's well understood that this is how the world is run. And through all the free trade agreements that the same group uh, literally drafted up for governments to sign, and this is this is le- legitimate. It's not it's not some conspiracy uh, theory. The CFR, Royal Institute for International Affairs, with the group for the Pacific Rim regions, the Asian Pacific, and so on. This is all the same organisation. They drafted up the agreements for the United Europe to happen under free trade, an economic bloc. And the same thing was to happen with the NAFTA deal, which they've changed in the last year or so with, with uh, Donald Trump, because too many folk were using the, the name NAFTA and folk were, were beginning to understand what it meant. It, it's so typical, if you start to understand what's happening, they change the names of it to try to confuse you. You, you talk, there's a conspiracy. There, that's the conspiracy part of it. Oh, we, we didn't do that for that reason. It's, it just sounds better now, you know. But it's the same agreement that they've changed it into for, for the Americas. And... 
it, it gets updated every year, and that's why you hear about the strife with, with the old agreement with Canada, Mexico, and the States, as they readjust who gets to what to sell what, to what price, to who, what country, and so on. Free trade is not free trade, you understand. I, I mentioned it so many times before that free trade is, is monopolistic trade. It's, it's for a consortium run under of countries, a block of countries run under a single agency. Uh, and that was the communist idea as well, by the way, and it's not a coincidence. But uh, they would decide uh, on different sects of society, farmers, even beekeepers, who would sell to which countries and how much, and how much the countries would have to import from each other. In the same area, so it, put, it literally put so many farmers out of business in Britain, and they all fell for the, the hype. All just expanding, get ready for massive selling of your butter and your cheese and your milk produce, and and folk were told to take on mortgages. Same thing happened in Canada, by the way, for a similar reason, years ago. And then, of course, the free trade deal is put through, and then you find out, no, they cut your quotas and so on. You got to import more from abroad or different countries, and and that's how it's really done. And I say that movie was put out quite a few years back now. With Anthony Hopkins in it, uh, called Heartland, uh, is a, a, a kind of portrayal of what happened to farmers at that particular time in Britain, how their government sold them out, and it wasn't accidentally selling them. It was like they didn't understand. No, no, they were sold completely out by liars, because we're run by by secrecy and deception. That's how you rule people. You don't tell them the truth. You don't say to them, "Oh, by the way, all you farmers there." We're going to start making, making you put you out of business because we're going to start importing stuff from, from France instead and, and dairy line, etc. and so on. And that's how it's all done. It's all a rigged system. And for the corporations that manufacture anything at all, at all it's, it's a monopolistic system, completely monopolistic, where, the, where certain big biggies are, are given grants to, to trade across the, the block and, and other ones are banned from it. You can't do it, you see. It's com- a completely a con job. But it, it goes on and on and on, and we watch it going on and on and on, and then they come up with their, their fake little spats about, uh, oh, Trump wasn't happy with the, the deal, uh, and or Canada was getting too much of this or that, and so was Mexico, etc. Well, that's, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to meet every year and, and slang this stuff out, you see, under their agreements. So there's nothing unusual about it. That's the way it's set up. But we're living in a system, as I say, that you watch the same things over and over again. There are many ways to, of, of the war starting, the big war, the one to, to finish off the list. And I've got a few countries to go, and you've got the Yemeni group on it too, and you've got Iran on it, and they must get them out of the way. That was all published in the 1990s by the, the, the group in the States at the time that Bush and a whole bunch of them were, were involved with, and he became, he became president, and they became his backers, and off they went to war. And it really has changed the face of Europe and the Americas forever, really, North America at least, anyway, forever, because of the mass migration, the fallout, the incredible debt it has caused. And at the same time, all this was happening. You had, again, through free trade deals, the elimination of your manufacturing base inside Canada and the States. And they they signed it over, just like the free trade deal in Europe. They signed over to Mexico, you see, uh, for the manufacturing temporarily. And they called it the Mexican Corridor, where they set up all the factories. They moved them down there and set them up there. And then after that, once it got completely done with uh, China and agreed to move all the manufacturing to China, off it went there, and that was that. You, you, the, the governments that you think you elected were behind us. They all signed on to it to deindustrialize us all. I hope folk get that through their heads. These smiling liars that you elect, they do what the party tells them. And that's what they'll tell you. Well, I, I didn't like it, but you had to go with the party. Which really is what's the point of having, having leaders for different constituents, different areas going go to Parliament or Congress or whatever, because if they're supposed to uh, speak for you, they should be, they should be voting uh, in any deal in Parliament or the Congress for you, not the party. So it's a complete farce what we're living in. Uh, we're, we're living in a managed system where really the politicians know darn well not to ask questions 
that lead to what they, pretty well with more than just suspected conclusions. Uh, you, you don't ask questions to, if you want to get up the ladder, you see. And psychopaths are, are awfully good at that. They'll, they, 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 they hone in quickly to what's expected. And because they're natural actors, they can play the game quite easily. So anyway, we're deindustrialized, and then we have an era right now of hyperinflation. It's getting to, it'll get to hyperinflation, as it was planned to do. Not just by chance, not just because uh, they, they screwed up with, with their accounting, as they always pretend that's what happened, or there's a slump. And all. No, it's because it's planned that way. Years ago, I remember talking about it, uh, even when uh, the last so-called crash was happening in 2007 and 2008, and, and they told her, no, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll, we'll borrow money to tide us over all. And the, the government in Canada too said, oh, wait, it's not going to affect us, our, our banks are solid, they're in great condition. And of course, you, when you delved into it, which I did, uh, I found out that the, the, all the biggies, and I got the list too from the government, had got bailouts from the US uh, Federal Reserve Bank, which is not really a federal one at all, it's private loan, but anyway... You don't have to pass gold or silver or even, you know, even note paper uh, to, to any country or any person or any government anymore. All you have to do is add a few zeros behind a number on a computer, and, and that's what you then owe them, really, plus interest. And that's how, that's how you get bailed out, you see. So they've got special drawing rights for Canada and the States, the U.S. banks, but also other foreign banks, too, in other countries, because the U.S. Federal Reserve now is acting almost like a central bank for all the other central banks across the planet. And at the time, I mentioned it, too, because I, I really followed it so meticulously. I knew darn well where it was going to go. What they always do when they crash your economy and you crash your financial system is they, they, they devalue the currency. So you need more numbers of the currency, uh, to try and buy the same amount of stuff that half the amount of would have done before. And that's where we are now. We're paying about double what we did before, for, especially in Canada. It's very obvious, even in food. And the government even admitted that they'd given permission to the big food producers, and meaning the big packagers and so on, the right to um, the middlemen to jack up all the food prices big time. And they've done it. I mean, butter now, a little thing about butter here now, is, is creeping up to, towards the $6 uh, uh, mark and uh, a pound, uh, $6 a pound. Right now it's five-something plus tax because it's a processed food. In other words, it's been you know pasteurized and God knows what else to do to it before you end up with the finished product. But uh, they call that process. So you pay tax on top of the food now. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, this is not happening back. And it's not just because we, we have to pay back the money. That's part of it. Money is a tool of power. And the magicians that handle the bookkeeping for the central banking systems are the true, the true powerful ones, really. Working again for masters, but they get incredible payoffs for, you know, doing their magic on the books, for instance. Because... Don't forget, you're in a world system, and money being a source of power and a tool of power is obviously ruled by the powerful, who can, they can make themselves very rich very quickly and double their income with a few strokes of a, in a computer, you might say. And that's how the system is today, and no one's going to look into it for about them, where they get the cash from. Just as they don't look into where politicians get the cash from. Some of the politicians today are multimillionaires, and they haven't done any work except being so-called elected as a public servant to something. Well, when you see what their income is supposed to be and what they end up uh, having after a few years, a very few years, they're not getting it all from their paychecks. Now, it's true in the U.S., and I'm sure other countries now too, in the U.S., they made it legitimate, legal, that politicians inside the U.S. can do insider trading. They get the, the hot tips of where government's going to sink its money. And you can't lose in that kind of hot tip. The government will sink vast sums of money into money pits, regardless if even if they're failing. That's how they work in government systems. And that happens all the time too. So money is a source of power, it's a tool of power, and it's used by the powerful for their own big agenda. And the agenda is not to continue, it's never to continue the way it is here in the world, is it? 
uh, you had an industrial era for quite a long time. They could have gone on for a much, much longer time, except that those who owned the world by then wanted rid of it from the West and to base it in China and the Far East and in India now too. Not just for cheap labor, but it was just time to do it. And they wanted to bring down all the Western countries into austerity. And I gave the talks from the United Nations uh, talks on, on austerity, the coming austerity and so on, and the Council on Foreign Relations articles, etc., and all the big think tanks on how we have to bring the West into austerity. Austerity is a nice way of, they used to say in the middle of the 19th century, with the politeness that they'd have in conversation, the middle class would say, oh, you know, they're poor, austere child. Normally they'd say a poverty-stricken child, but it sounds better, austere, austerity. You're not in poverty, you're in austerity, you see. And uh, it sounds better. Poverty might make you have a bit of guilt twang that you for allowing it to even happen, you see. So you always camouflage it with the words that are used, just like you didn't have slaves in, in, in Britain, you had servants, you know. And servants were tied to the home that they looked after, or tied to the farms, as tenant farmers. And at least they were more, a bit more honest in the, in the Middle Ages, they called them serfs, you know, which really was a, a, a slave, basically. You sold, you're bought and sold with land. And if you ran away before the plague hit, of course, when you ran away, they, they would catch you and force you back after torturing you and punishing you, or branding you, or, or killing you. That was the law. It wasn't until after you had the first big plague deaths across Europe and England, uh, when, again, it killed off so many of the, of the, the serf class, that they had to start thinking about actually giving them some kind of recompense and money to get them to go and work for them and give them a few rights. But again, they even tried to get away from them again, get it back from them once things got going pretty well again. But that's what always happens, isn't it? But today, as I say, we're living through almost a form of, with the warfares coming up, because it's going to happen, you know that's on the list. The list is never forgotten. I don't think I don't think they've ever put a war down that they wanted to have that they didn't actually ever do. There's always strategy involved for having the wars in the first place. It isn't just balance of power, and if it's and if it's even to do with knocking out some kind of up and coming institution or country or whatever, we should at least since we're paying for all, we should at least have the right to know who is going to benefit, or or whose behalf is it really on, or for. Nothing is ever, ever honestly given to the general public. And I always remind myself once in a while of the war, the complete, utter war on society. Uh, a society that doesn't even know it's happening to them. They think that everything's quite natural. They think that, 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 that almost, um, and probably actually is in some, some uh, apparently in modern TV stations, where they've got live intercourse and some things. I said this would happen in the 1990s, mind you. And then they gave music television big time for the, the young, up-and-coming youngsters who were just uh, whose hormones were just exploding, coming into birth and exploding at the time, to make sure that they would be hypersexualized to destroy the old system. For at least it was never perfect, believe you me, of marriage and all the rest of it. But I tell you, it gave a much better solidity to society. And, it, and for folk who eventually got past the teenage years, it would give them more of a solid background for survival in family units as opposed to what they have today. As I say, I, I remind myself every so often by watching occasionally the scheme, the scheme, the housing scheme, they call them in, in places like Britain, and they call it the scheme that was made by the BBC, of the devastation around the big cities, in and around the big cities in Scotland, for instance. And literally, for me, I've got to always catch myself because back in the 90s, I talked about what was to come by, based on what I already knew and had studied and what, was, what I noticed was coming up. And I noticed a massive influx at the time uh, an onslaught, I know it happened in different parts of England and Ireland too, of, of heroin just coming in almost unrestricted. 
And that, when that happens, it took planning for that to happen. It took coordination between police departments and covert departments, too, that always exist, that most folk don't even know exist. It took a lot of planning and permissions and acceptance to allow that to even happen. And, of course, it also meant that the big boys who were bringing the stuff in were all planned as well, for who they were and so on. And that was all understood of how to get it into the country. But heroin exploded, and it was so cheap. And it hit at the right time, and it was promoted at the right time by the music industry. It was so hip and cool, just like they had done it with hip and cool um, um, marijuana, Mary Jane, back in the, the 60s and 70s. But way beyond that now, because now they were deindustrializing the countries even then in, in Scotland and in England. Uh, that was the plan as well. They'd already been through massive deindustrialization in the 1970s and through the 80s. And so you have this, this bereft of jobs, traditional jobs, all gone, just wiped out, vanished, exported. And the public were lied to about it, how it was happening. Oh, they're just closed down or you're led to, they expected you to believe they went bankrupt or something. See, you would fill in the spots. They wouldn't tell you what happened. They were deliberately being put, put across the, the world by your tax money. Just as it happened again with China later on, everywhere else, and including Canada and the States. But to, to fill this void too of hyper-sexualized youngsters where marriage was going to be obsolete, it was planned to be obsolete, and men were degraded to the point that, that um, all entertainment pretty well poo-pooed men altogether and made a laughing stock out of them. They had done that for years, mind you, uh, from the American stations initially and then onto the British stations that copied it all with their dramas, etc., and their comedies. Comedy is a big one that they do all, all these things through. And eventually you've got a society where there's, there's either no men or the men just sit quiet in the background and say nothing as the rest of it goes kaput. And the families are finished, and their children are on drugs. And this is a complete war, culturally, psychologically, all planned that way. And with the use of big pharma, of course, because they could get handfuls and handfuls of Valium on the streets, or any other kind of drugs for that matter. And then government steps in to take up all the slack and all the, all the children who are completely hooked on drugs of all kinds, until it's normal to have social workers assigned to every family pretty well. And then the, 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 the people who were growing up at that time, the 90s, hmm, are now the, the maybe, maybe a parent, if they've lived that long and survived, maybe a parent uh, themselves. And so, so with every, every generation it gets worse because there's no family values, traditions, or even the families themselves to, to, to help them out. They've been wrecked, absolutely wrecked. And in that housing, uh, that one called The Scheme, and the Scottish one, you'll see people who, uh, and they do have subtitles for those who can't make it out, what I mean, you'll see people struggling to understand. They, can't, they don't know what happened. They really don't know what happened. Because their, their everyday life is normal. To you looking, looking at it, you'll see this is completely dysfunctional, with no hope. And you'll see them reacting, trying to build little community centers to get a community spirit going, things like that. And other things that are beyond band-aid techniques because the community centers were fine years and years ago for what they had then. Society's been wrecked even further since then. You won't get people sitting playing dominoes in this day and age, unless they're an old, old folks home perhaps. You have to understand you're in a planned society, a managed society, wreck the society, bring in and increase social work departments and, and the pseudo-psychological experts, pseudo-science experts, I'd say, of the mind to take care of the slack. And, and they're as bad as the, the, the victims of all who are wrecked and their lives are wrecked. Parents looking at the children, the parents' lives are often wrecked, and looking at the children whose lives are wrecked too. Everybody's just dysfunctional. And I'll tell you what it put me in mind of when I looked at it again. And I really mean this, because it's startling, and it's obviously, it's obviously what's happened. 
And it, it took me back too to the 90s where I, I mentioned about what happens when society has been conquered, wrecked, and destroyed. And back then, the analogy I made was if you look at the, at the Indian society in, in Canada, you've got society, lots of studies done on it, where they themselves have tremendous alcohol and drug abuse. All the same problems, I'd say, that they have now everywhere else in, in Scotland and elsewhere, and, and Canada too, for every, every society. Uh, but, but, in, but the Indians literally, uh, for them, are people who, who had lived with the same kind of culture. No matter what you think of the culture or even the tribal warfare that goes on, the fact is they had purpose in life, personal purpose. And you would follow the tradition of the elders. And it didn't have to be complex either, by the way. And they had purpose. And they were mainly hunters. And that gave them purpose too. They're busy, busy, busy for survival. But one, and as Darwin said it too, and, and, and they understand this technique too by, this, by studying eugenics and evolution and all the rest of it, as they call it evolution. Uh, the fact is, if you wreck a society and bring them to the status of what they, what they used to call, they used to call arrested civilizations, ones who didn't go beyond a certain step or stage. Didn't mean that I mean, there's anything wrong with them. They were just stuck. Often they were completely self-sufficient. But you can't make a profit of people who are self-sufficient, can you? So we call them arrested civilizations. But when you take away their purpose and their cultural purpose, and their connections to their ancestries, then they, 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 they just turn inwards on themselves and self-annihilate, basically. And that's what you're seeing in parts of Scotland and England and Europe, and Canada too, by the way. Uh, coincidentally, at the same time, it's just somehow the nations uh, say that you can take all these different drugs and they're going to, they're going to make them, even all, all of them actually legal eventually. You understand you're in a complete, you're beyond the takedown stage. Now it's time to eradicate us. That's what's happening now. We're getting eradicated, completely eradicated. Look at the cancer rates are out through the roof, for goodness sake. And the foods we're eating, we're not even allowed to know if they're even genetically modified or what kind of pesticides they've used on them. We don't have the right to know that. And we accept that. That means we're gone. When we don't say, hey, <laughs> we demand. Huh? When you put yourself into the state of being dictated to by authorities, you're pretty well given up. You forget that these people who call themselves servants are supposed to serve you. But of course, in socialism, and that's why the elites and the wealth of this world picked socialism. Socialism is a, was, was, was planned by higher levels of the middle classes who literally looked around them at all the poor and despised them and were afraid of them and thought they'd come out and start planning societies for them. Yeah, there'd be some do-gooders amongst them, but there was a lot of them. H.G. Wells was one of them, who had fear and contempt for the working classes. The fear part was that when he saw them passing their windows, going to these smelly, rotten factories, dirty factories every day, he, he, like many, I suppose, had a fear of maybe something terrible could happen and he'd have to join them. So you, you end up loathing that which you, you fear, you see. And that's where we're going today with it all. But watching the annihilation happening with folk who have no hope at all, where the availability of all kinds of drugs, so cheap too, are, are beyond just simple proliferation. It's planned proliferation and planned takedown, folks. Or believe you me, authorities... They can galvanize you into world wars when it suits them and take over everything, including the rationing of food, which they'll do again, by the way, eventually, under a similar kind of guise, not just a world war, but a different thing to get again. You've got to go into austerity, remember. But the fact is, they can galvanize and take over, over everything in society and every facet of society and production and the means of production and basic survival very quickly. And you think they couldn't stop the drugs? 
Do you really think, do you really believe that? <laughs> in, in, a, in a system where they know everything about everybody, every single one of you, they know more about you than you know about yourself, by the studies they've done on you. And they completely, they constantly do on you. But they just don't know who's come on, folks, eh? You're in the takedown phase. And that's why, just like Brave New World, written in the 1930s, the early 30s, not by a, a guy with a crystal ball, but Aldous Huxley, who, who mixed his family, but belonged to this, this managerial elite class, who looked at all the, the common popular people, they call it populism, and, and the popular people, the people who like popular music and popular, which was beneath them, of course. But they were quite open about it, that there'd be too many people. Until his death, Aldous Huxley, along with his brother, and actually Julian, who was worse, uh, talked about the fear of overpopulation, of, of all the wrong kind of people. And people thought at the time, well, it wouldn't affect us in, say, in Britain. You know, you're thinking, thinking this guy's got something in common with you. No, they didn't. <laughs> you're, you're as much of a peasant as, as the people across the world in some supposedly third world country. That's it there. So anyway, they, they talked about it in Brave New World in the 1930s and, and how they'd bring in a system where the state would raise the children. It didn't, never mind the fact that they would literally engineer, genetically engineer the people, the right kind of people with the right genes, the gene replacements and all the rest of it, and to get the right categories of work distribution for different jobs from the intellectual to the menial. And they would breed them all different classes of them, and they would get lots of sex, hyper-sexualized, lots, every night. In fact, it was almost mandatory you had to have sex, but you, you would have a sterile relationship. There'd be no offspring. They even make it uh, taboo to have sex with the same person twice in a week. So promiscuity had to be shared, you see. A lot of these ideas came from Plato and, and their public, where, where literally women would be, would be held in common well, women may object to that, so you don't tell them that they're, that, that, that they're all there to be, to be shared around with everybody. You, you just tell them that they're, they're free, you know, and uh, give them a paycheck and give them a, a, a culture that basically gives you exactly what you wanted to until they're, they're all in common. You know? These things are not by chance. They don't happen by chance. And then you have... Again, in Brave New World, you have the primitive type who, who is born naturally outside. It's a few, a few settlements of them outside the big protected cities, apart from the genetically modified ones, who are still wild. They're the wild ones. But because they're wild, they can still think. And they can point out the things that are wrong. And what's absent from it all is a sense of a great love and, 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 and it's not just happy, but love for things and great spiritual feelings and so on that, 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 that those that are generally modified were laughed at. They, they thought this primitive guy who was brought in as a novelty and, and an experiment. They thought he was, he, he was quaint and all that with strange ideas about having real mothers and real fathers since they were all born in basically, as you would call it, test tube types. They thought it was quaint. They'd have these strange notions and he quotes Shakespeare and so on and, 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 and gives them stories about high emotion that they, they couldn't quite get grasp it because they were completely materialistic. They lived for the moment. That, that was their life. And then, just like John Dewey and others prescribed long before, and again, that's where a lot of the ideas came from, from for Huxley's book. But, but John Dewey, um, in his school, of thought, they helped create the educational system for America and a good part of Europe, same groups. They would train the children that death was normal, and you, you would you'd be allocated a certain amount of years, and then you would die. And nobody would, would moan, bemoan you dying. There'd be a celebration of, of you dying, and you would die humanely, you see. And now you're in age now, today, where, where when you hit a certain age, they want to euthanize you openly, quite op very openly, and they're promoting, this is an agenda you're going through. This isn't the brainchild of professors who are living now, dreamed up themselves. They're following a script, and certain ones are selected to reaffirm the script to the public to get you used to the idea through repetition of it. And to, well, I guess I had to hurt them eventually. And there you go. Just like the people in this scheme, this series in the BBC was talking about, Poor souls, they're trying to, just like they tried with the Indian reserves in Canada, 
and elsewhere, whether they're falling to drugs and alcohol and the rest of it. They're trying the similar things in Scotland, the people themselves. And it wasn't, it wasn't lack of money that was strictly responsible. There are so many of them are on, on welfare and have their houses paid, their rents and so on, and, and their food, and they have computers and TVs and all the rest of it, and they can afford to go out and so on. So it's even unemployed. It wasn't just, it wasn't just lack of money. It, it was purpose and function. The function of, of man, woman, family, and society has been destroyed. And when that happens, and the family is destroyed, then the community is destroyed, because each family, all the different families, collectively are the community. And communities used to stand up, and I remember them standing up, to, to bills that were passed by local governments, and they, they, they would all go, oh no, you're not. And they wouldn't. They would listen. When you don't have that community anymore, with good mindsets and, and logic and, and whose, whose minds can think straight enough, when you don't have them to stand up collectively, uh, then those who are in control have won, you see. Before, the, before they start the next round of whatever, they've already won. That's what, again, back to socialism, that's what H.G. Wells said. He says, we will eventually uh, re- re- annihilate the family until the individual will be talked down to by us, the government, Straight at from government to individual, government to individual, and there'll be nobody around you, no no kin to stand up for you or community to stand up for you. That's what he said, and that's what they wanted, and Bernard Shaw wanted it too. For those who don't buy now, socialism is an ordered, planned society that makes the elite feel safer. And to be planned, everybody must be utterly predictable in it. That's why your soul observes. Got nothing to do with terrorism. Never did have anything to do with terrorism. Now, the time is flying again, and I've been prattling on, and I didn't even mean to go off here. I want to talk just briefly about a few things that have been happening, and what we call the media these days. But I'll just touch on this, just touch on it. It's a clue to how big things really are, you know. A sign and a symptom of a destroyed society, when these, these things can go that far without being stopped, right? I mean, you've heard of the, 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 the Jeffrey Epstein thing, but he, he, also you have this, this, this present news, news to do with Ed Buck in the States. Prominent Democratic donor Ed Buck arrested for running a drug den and being a violent sexual predator who preys on men struggling with addiction after a third man overdosed in his California apartment. This guy was in the weirdest, weirdest sadistic system, folks. Really, you know, when you see what he was into with folk who were dying on their last legs of AIDS and so on. Mm-mm-mm. But, you know, he'd been doing that for years. And being a wealthy guy who didn't, who, 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 who no doubt, I mean, he, he was, he was a, a party animal, and we go around all the big... He, he, this guy gave millions out to, to different to politicians and parties. So that you can't keep that kind of thing secret that he's into any more than Jeffrey Epstein's kept secret just by pure chance. <laughs> so I'll put two articles up on that too. What I'm saying, you're, you're looking at the end of, and, and the destruction. This is something in a more modern sense and the techniques are used, like drugs to kill them or same strange combinations. Of it's like looking at something you'd read from Caligula in ancient Rome. And that stuff is not that, that rare now, in this day and age. And then Jeffrey Epstein ran a $500 million Ponzi scheme, fueled by insider trading in fake stock buys, and then fleece clients by selling off $275 million worth of bogus notes when the money ran out. This, this claim is in, the, in one of the newspapers. Well, this is a big operation. It wasn't just Jeffrey Epstein, folks. It was a massive operation. You couldn't keep this quiet from CIA, unless the CIA were in it. And other organizations, too. No doubt about it. No doubt. Judging from the connections. But he also literally (laughs) ran a pyramid scheme of sexual purchases, you might say, as well. And, and and had these young girls going across the planet, the important people. Massive organization. This wasn't a one-man job here. 
massive organisation. And the money, of course, that was that was backing him from how he was set up, tells you that those who set him up were all were already part of a big intelligence operation. I know that. There's no doubt there. No doubt whatsoever. None at all. And then you get Bill Gates says he wishes he hadn't met with Jeffrey Epstein in 2013. Small world, eh? Isn't it? Small world. And insists he didn't know the pedophile that well. After it was revealed that that this billionaire donated $2 million to MIT's Media Lab at the Sex Pest's request. The Media Lab is an awfully interesting organization. I really mean that. There's way more to it than meets the eye. (laughs) Remember that technology rules the world, and whoever has the most of it and the cutting edge of it is going to be the leader and the owner of ruling the world. Putin said that. Others have said it too. And the Media Lab is, was based in MIT. And they really uh, scoured and scoured. They would get the first dibs on things that were getting worked on and so on. And, and it's so interesting uh, of the different characters at the Media Lab. And then you have one of the other Media Lab characters, or MIT characters coming out. Uh, Stallman, his name is, pioneer of the free software movement, argued about the definition of sexual assault on an MIT email about the university's connections to Jeffrey Epstein. And basically, Stallman argued that the late Marvin Minsky, an artificial intelligence pioneer, accused of assaulting one of Epstein's victims, Virginia uh, Jeffrey, had not actually assaulted anyone. And he said, basically, that these underage victims were entirely willing. That takes me back to, to something awfully interesting, which I won't go into, but Mr. Epstein's sidekick, uh, Maxwell, referred to these young women as trash. Uh, which is an interesting thing to me, anyway, because I know, I know there's different meanings of it. And then you go into this one article here. Stanford R. Oshinsky. He died in 2012, but he was born in 1922, long life. An American inventor and scientist who collected pretty well <laughs> patents, patents on technology. But he it says he was he was granted well over four hundred patents. Don't forget the patent the patent industry is a, a very shady area. And if you get first dibs on someone working on something, you can grab it. You can get in there first. You can get the patent on it too. It's like industrial espionage when you look at all these different things to do with patents. You always see lawsuits galore over different patents getting pinched, as they say, knocked knocked off or stolen <laughs> very quickly. There's no surface evidence that Ovshinsky himself was actually involved in anything really shady, but all corporations that hire people in, in, in any field, especially in science, uh, often uh, acquire patents. They're, they're, for things that are discovered and invented by employees, that's very, very common. And they, they all sign on to that deal when you, when you get them employment. That's just the way it goes. But this guy, this guy of Shinsky, was awfully interesting, and, and the different things he was involved in, and he backed, he backed another fella. He almost raised them in a sense. Joy, his name was Ito, and he's a Japanese activist. It says entrepreneur and venture capitalist, the former director of the MIT Media Lab and former professor of the practice of media arts and science at MIT. He's a visiting professor of practice at Harvard Law School. And he's got all these different awards granted to him. He, he was raised not to fail, this guy. So it's a very interesting story. And how his, his family moved to Canada. Born, born in Japan, Kyoto. And then moved to, and then to the, first to Canada, then to the US. And then to a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. Where his father became a research scientist. His mother, a secretary energy conversion devices, Inc. Now, Ovonics, the founder of his mother's company. Stanford R. Ovshinsky was impressed with young Ito, whom he thought of almost as his son. And he mentored the boy's interest in technology and social movements. It's interesting, both and social movements. And when he was 13, gave him work with scientists, saying he's not a child in the conventional sense. It's interesting to a small world because I think that the godfather of this child ended up being Timothy Leary. But anyway, this, this young guy, who often dropped out of university and all the rest of it, was suddenly launched into this, again, this 
this young genius guy, you see, just launched into it and ends up running this, the, the media lab at MIT, eh? Well, anyway, he quit it eventually when all the scandal broke out with Epstein and so on, because he was taking money from Epstein too, who was financing Mr. Ito privately as well as for the media lab. It's a small world. And when you get these connections all together, you have to see what are they all after here? Because such people don't do things for nothing or just out of basic interest. It is premeditated. You set up your draft board, you know, and you get information coming out from here, here, and here, and you'll end up with a power. Information is power, especially in areas of technologies. It really is. But what a small world, eh? And it says that Ito returned to the U.S. and so on after being had a certain schooling, and but she dropped out of, as I say, to attend Tufts University as a computer science after he dropped out of other ones, where he met, amongst others, Pierre Omidyar, later founder of eBay. You know, then he, he enrolled at Chicago University and and dropped out too, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it says from Keough University he ended a PhD in media and governance in 2018. And under his dissertation was called The Practice of Change. You understand what I'm saying here? You've got a person who's massively involved in patents, almost raising someone as a protege, who just the door's open for him, and he's put into a position of a central hub of information, MIT. He'll get the first whisperings of anything that's getting worked on and so on. And that's a clue right off the bat, too. Even for investors, because if you know, and, and that's how it works, too, if you know where oh, grants are getting, big massive grants and governments adding to the grants in different areas, uh, you, you'll know where to invest your money, etc. But you also know that such patents that, that might come out of this will be awfully, awfully lucrative if you can grab them first. Just just a thought, you know. But how a smaller world. And Timothy Leary, eh? Was, uh, was was a godfather. <laughs> I tell you. Mm-mm-mm. And Ito's sister, Mizuko Ito, is a cultural anthropologist studying media technology use. And also the musician Cornelius is his second cousin. And so on. So anyway, I'm just giving, that's a little cluster. You could spend a good part of your your year just on that little cluster alone with, with Jeffrey Epstein on this part of his life and the people in this particular media lab and who funded it and all the other places the funding was coming from and what connections they had to outside corporations, companies and everything else too. It's awfully, awfully interesting. To me, in a way. I can't say any more about it, but I'm sure I could <laughs> if I really, really wanted to. But there's, there's certain things you can't go too far in without a, a concrete evidence, except not in this day and age when you're talking about powerful people. Now, also, too, as we all know, the Sackler family were dishing out a few million. Believe you me, the, the, the fines would be nothing this multi-billion dollar family from their drugs. They knew what it was going to do to the people. They knew, and they knew what it was, before they, they dished it all out to, to, the, to be used, what the drugs would, would cause, highly addictive, and they knew it was going to be highly addictive, and, and they had it so well marketed too, etc. too. I'm sure you've all read it in the newspapers about their family. It's just astonishing that such people exist, isn't it? who have no conscience at all. They knew what they were doing. Aggressive marketing of highly addictive opioids. And the thing is, they knew that that was part of its appeal to them as entrepreneurs too and owners is that it would be highly addictive very quickly too, very quickly. As I say, now we're in a system now of massive takedown of societies. It took years. I mean, everybody knew what it was doing for years and years and years and years. Where was all your governments? Why weren't they? Why wasn't there any department stepping in to do the investigations which now they're releasing? Why wasn't it done years and years ago? Powerful people have powerful ways of uh, being left alone, right? Other articles that show you... See, we're in the destructive phase of society. Look around you. It's like a battlefield. 
And yet pro-choice and anti-abortion advocates express shock at the discovery of fetal remains at Dr. Ulrich George Klopfer's home. Hmm? South Bend, I think it's Indiana. Apparently he died, and then his family went into his home and so on and found more than 2,200 fetal remains that he kept preserved at his home. What was he doing with them? No answers, you see. You get no answers. He was an abortionist. But what's he doing at his home? This wasn't his clinic. You know? You're looking. That doesn't raise a hair in most folks' heads anymore. I mean, we're so beyond being shot because the war has worked. Look around you. If it doesn't work on you, this kind of thing, then you're a victim of it too. It's worked on you well, you see. Your entertainment probably shows you more gruesome stuff than this. And that's part of the reason you do accept all this stuff, by the way. Abortionist Ulrich Klopfer kept thousands of dead babies but inspires little curiosity, this other article says. Yeah, no one really cares, eh? This is an age where, again, they bring out their, their, their leaders at the right time as they're telling you to eat insects and so on, to save the planet. It's almost like, you understand, when a person is, is captured, a prisoner, for instance, and jailers traditionally were basically psychopathic, cruel people who enjoyed what they did, <laughs> more so at one time, eh? And you'll see it happening too, like the videos that came out about the U.S. torturing people in Iraq, for instance, and in prison systems. They do horrific things, and they become kind of immune to it. But there's something about taunting and humiliating people who are defenseless. But that, what, what they, even waterboarding, which was the first thing that the, the troops were taught to do when they were, when they were catching, that was, a, you know, it was a death penalty by the U.S. on Japanese who had done that to, to prisoners of war. It was a death penalty if that was found. During the, they had tribunals there in World War II. And yet when the Bush system took, did Gulf War I, and then, in, you know, Desert Storm, then Gulf War I, and, then, and so on, and then into uh, the sun's term as well. Waterboarding was priority. All the what happened? All the values that used to horrify you are out the you know when, and it's all okay. Well, you see, you gobble this up for entertainment. You have your whole life long, and that's why it works so well. I'll let you just put this up if there's time actually tonight, and but this might just make it actually. Think about you. You got to get out your head where your government is. It's so sad to me to to watch people still going and voting for the same scumbags and all parties because they're all part of the same con job. You see, if you have a one-party system like they did in the Soviet system, everybody knew it was a con, but you couldn't complain because socialism is ruthless. And you were seeing the same techniques getting applied across the the, the Western world. Utter ruthless just authoritarianism. That is what socialism brings, and that's why the multi-billionaires in the world <laughs> decide that's what we're going to give you. There's less arguments with socialism. You'll do what you're told or else. And the Soviet system, as I say, the one-party system, they all knew what it was like and what it was about. And they joked, had stacks of jokes about it, but even then you'd be awfully careful it could get you in trouble or imprisoned. So in the West, of course, they gave them at least, at least a two-party system to make it appear that you actually have choices, that, that your, your vote matters. Even though the same agendas continue regardless of what party you put into, uh, appear to be put into power. But your government, so you better go back. I'll just touch on them before I get off here. I've done so many articles over many, many years on what governments have done to the people. Never mind giving, giving syphilis to, to the to people in, in parts of the U- U.S., black people in the U.S., one point. Telling them they were giving them treatment for it. They gave them free blood testings. Oh, you got no, they didn't have syphilis. They gave them the syphilis and they, not, they noted down who they were giving it to and followed them to, to, to go untreated to see how it would affect them and take them down. That was your government system and CIA involvement too. They, they designed all this stuff. This strange CIA. You have to wonder if they're even American. What are they? What are these characters? So, anyway, that's one thing they did. They also sprayed radioactive material over places too, over, over whole towns. Poor towns, of course. And so did Britain. Anyway, I'll, I'll just touch on a few of them, just a few of them, but they're going into any depth tonight. 
forest spraying concerns, mixed reviews on mill support, it says. This is Sudbury. Spraying of the forest with chemicals is unacceptable. Attention fellow fishermen, hunters, nature lovers, just the folk that live there too. It's time to speak to protect Northern Ontario's public forests. Multinational corporations, ECOM and RIAM, R-Y-A-M, are proposing another decade of spraying non-essential toxic chemical herbicides in the Timmins, Sudbury and Campus Casing regions because it's cheaper than alternatives required for the past two decades in Quebec. And it says the Ontarian government, without your comments, will cave into demands of these huge multinational corporate. It doesn't take much to make governments cave into big money, because they all know each other, folks. Often the big companies put them in power. So anyway, it says that the comments are especially needed from the First Nation members and the band councils with constitutionally protected rights to fish hunt and so on. Blah 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 blah. blah. Anyway, it's a huge area. And the government has a the next 10-year forestry plan and so on. I don't know what happened. It's already happened in July, but I don't, I don't know what came out of it, if it's been stalled or what. And also, TEK elders will take government to court. And it says, Raymond Owl, one of the founding members of Traditional Ecological Knowledge Elders, that's what it stands for, Traditional Ecological Knowledge Elders, off the north shore of Lake Huron, says we'll be going to court to force the government to live up to the promise made in the Robinson Huron Treaty of 1850. Good luck. First Nations were guaranteed the right to hunt, fish, gather berries, and use plant medicines in traditional territories. The Constitution Act of 1982 reaffirms those rights. So the rights are being violated by the practice of aerial spraying that they believe is damaging plants, water, fish, and animals. They're also concerned about the harm to humans. It's a, a, long, a, a good article, it's quite longish, but uh, it gives you an idea about the incredible spring they've had in, and, uh, in the area. And the fact, as I've said before, it's now in, in the general newspapers about the spraying of uh, glyphosate uh, in the, over, the, over the forest here. Not, never mind the, the chemtrails we above us as well, under the, the fake uh, geoengineering to save the world con, but that's happening too. Do you understand? We're in a, we're, this is all to get. This will bring down a, a much quicker death rate, which again ties into the takedown of society after this long war. And so many folk today are so mind bombed with the drugs that they're on. Never mind the, 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 the strange floating through society that's falling apart. You know that we're all doing. Uh, but the drugs that they're on, and, and their children are on, and so on. Makes it much easier to take you down physically now, isn't it? Because it is depopulation time. I hope you understand that. Is when they take away treatment from hospitals, and they, they say it's much cheaper and more efficient to just give you a euthanasia pill. Uh, and after all, your standing in society isn't that great. We don't really need you. Why don't you just die? That's happening, folks, daily here. And you accept, and you accept, and you say, just like it used to be prohibitive to torture prisoners or you gave them the death penalty for waterboarding at the end of World War II to your enemies, and then you end up being the main proponent for it. That's what's happened here. Degradation of culture makes much, much easier. And you've all been degraded in a hyper-sexualized entertainment system with all the instant messaging that's going on and new terms to grab and just fall in. Well, I guess, well, maybe that's okay, you know. Until then, until you're, 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 what was normal is facing 180 degrees to what it was not long ago, folks. But it's a good article, put this up. And then you have uh, Toxic Agent Orange was sprayed on British Columbia, a document show. And during the 1960s and 70s, according to documents obtained by CTV News, a television station in, in Ontario, Tens of thousands of gallons of the toxic mixture were applied to clear brush near highways and along power lines in the late 60s, early 70s. In some cases, the substance was sprayed next to homes. I did a story too some years ago on, on the air where they were still using it around uh, military camps in, in Canada. And they were, they'd one in, around Base Borden, it was in newspapers, because a few folk had eventually taken it to court because they were spraying right through into the 90s <laughs> with the stuff to kill off weeds around it. And the people didn't know. The, around, around these bases, you always have towns grow up, you see. And the folk didn't know. 
And what the satire was pretty good is that all that stuff went into the creek that it spread. And they saw it getting sprayed and it says we drank it. All that stuff got into the cow, we drank the milk. Our clothes were washing it, our dishes were washing it. We didn't know what it was. And he'll take for granted if it's getting sprayed, it must be okay. Somebody is. You know, this great hierarchy of special, intelligent folk above us must be taken care of us. They wouldn't do anything nasty. That's what they're there for, is to take care of you in this paternalistic, maternalistic system. Eh? Toxic gas tested on Norwich, that was the one in England I mentioned years ago. And it says, the Cold War chemical trials carried out with the Ministry of Defence. Royal Air Force planes released clouds of zinc cadmium sulphide over Norwich in 1963 and 64. Actually, it's many, many years to assess the effects of a biological attack. So they spray them with the stuff that's carcinogenic. <laughs> so MPs and that were taken up and it's revealed that Norwich has twice as many cases of cancer of the esophagus, the organ at the back of the throat, which tops the food tube to the stomach. Well, it is the, the food tube, really, as a national average. And it's the data released from the Freedom of Information Act. Not bad, they're releasing it, uh, you know, like 40 years after the events or whatever. And they sprayed it from ships, too, when the wind was in the right direction, Royal Navy ships. But it didn't stop there. They had, they had, they had vans with special vents on the top, going, driving around all the streets and... And folk didn't even know they were getting sprayed in cities and towns. But they were testing everybody and watching how your health would uh, deteriorate or whatever. They got all incredible data. That's the beauty of a, of a national health system, though. Great uh, data collectors. Millions were in germ war tests. Much of Britain was exposed to bacteria sprayed in secret trials. Mr. Finch turned large parts of the country into giant laboratories to conduct series of germ warfare tests on the public. And uh, the report just released provides for the first time a comprehensive official history of Britain's biological warfare and weapons trials between 1940 and 1979. Many of the tests involve releasing potential dangerous chemicals and microorganisms over vast swaths of population without the public being told. And another one too, uh, the news that matters about the nuclear industry, Fukushima. Chernobyl, uh, Three Mile Island, Atomic Testing Radiation Isotope. There's a documentary that was banned in the UK. I don't know if it's there now, but uh, it was up on YouTube, and I found it again. And it's about the radioactive waste and barrels of it dumped and forgotten. It's not really forgotten, it's just they, they pretend they don't know where it was, but divers are finding it, and uh, fishermen are pulling up tanks and like 50-gallon drums and so on, and stuff, which is all leaking. A documentary shown in German and French TV, but not in England. And they even dumped stacks of stuff from the from the atomic industry, from the power stations, stacks of the stuff and isotopes in the Irish Sea. And especially in the space between that and Northern England, Ireland, Northern England, uh, and Scotland. And also stacks of it too along the Channel Islands and the four dying off and all these different areas of different kinds of cancers, which are so... But again, this is documented stuff, and it's an, a good documentary. This is discusses the effects of sea dumping of radioactive waste on the health of people living on the local coasts, like the Irish Sea and, and the Baltic Sea, which is the most radioactive sea in the world. So they showed the dumping the English Channel, Herd Deep, they call it the Herd Deep area, about 12 miles north of the Channel Island of Alderney. The stuff's washing up in Alderney and the beaches, the radioactive, uh, the water's contaminated, and... So is all the seaweed and so on. Alderney is also subject to release to the sea from the French nuclear uh, reprocessing plant at Cap de uh, La Hague, 12 miles east of the small island. Amazing, eh? <laughs> They're all doing it. And they were, remember too, they were dropping them in the, the lochs in Scotland at one point. I remember that. So I, I mentioned that story years ago. And then again you have the, the plan take down again through austerity as the Deutsche Bank, the next Lehman Brothers. Hmm? And then another one too, Deutsche Bank may face the ECB probe over dealings in its own bonds. And I think the US Federal Reserve again has helped to bail them out recently over this whole scam that's going on here. You're getting, their money is going to be valueless eventually. But again it's planned to go that way, then out of the crisis will come a new world system. Worse than the last and you've been complete austerity then, believe you me. Better hungry than eat meat, UK school goes veg only, no packed lunches or freedom of choice. Well, that's socialism run by 
the wealthiest folk on the planet. As I say, the upper class, the middle class, help bring it all in, manage all. And you find that uh, it's elite that own socialism. Death taxes swell treasury coffers by 5.4 billion as they go after more and more money clawed in from the folk to try to stop from inheriting anything from their parents or whatever when they die. Climate emergency Ireland is set to ban private cars. Remember that the agenda for the 21st century, Agenda 21, signed by all the nations that belong to the United Nations, uh, they all signed on to this agenda for the whole century with implementations like uh, 2010, 2020, 2030 and so on, the different parts of it to be, to be fulfilled and completed and then on to the next part. But the, the Agenda 21 is for the entire century with all the things that they, they must get through. And you'll find that they have it stated quite plainly there, and I read the articles years ago on the air, that... Uh, the elimination of privately owned vehicles. And uh, there'll be essential vehicles only, which are police, fire, ambulance, that type of thing, military, etc. And uh, that's what it's about. And, of course, by 2030, another part of the 21st century plan, 2030, because they meet every so many years, they plan to have so much off the road, so they want them off the road. I told you this years ago, <laughs> before they even came out with all this stuff, they do this. In fact, the 1998, I remember talking about that, they'd ban cars. And, and at the same time, they're planning mass third world migration. This article here, I'll put it up. And another article, privately owned car should be banned from London by 2030. This is pro-Corbyn think tank, but it's not just at London, it's across the country. That's Agenda 21, folks. I'll put that up too. I guess all I've got time for really, I could go on and on and on, but I prattled on and something else before I started, right? Anyway, uh, some food for thought. You're living through a, a planned system, folks. Nothing happens that hasn't been planned and often published before it happens, often long ago. That's why you forget it. You, you forget all about it. Oh, that, that hasn't. So you forget it, and then it happens. Remember, you can help me out by buying the books and discs, cutting through the com, or donating. Remember, you can donate by sending cash or checks or international postal money orders if you're outside Canada. And it's PayPal. So from Alan Watt, Interior Canada, it's good night to me or God or your gods go with you.